You are listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. You have chosen wisely. Go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. I'm hitting the mark button and we're starting this. All right, we ready? All right. Boob jokes! And that's Craig welcoming you to the Legendarium podcast today. We are the blue team, and Craig is being banned from the studio. <laughs> At least as long as we're talking about Dresden. Should we do it again? Should we mark it again? Should we keep going? We'll just keep going. Just keep going. You know how this is. We'll always fix this in post. Um, unless we choose not to. Unless we choose not to. This is episode 249, or at least it is slated to be episode 249. Um, I hope it turns into episode 249. It'd be really embarrassing if we had two 249. Anyway, 249, that means that means 250 is coming on real quick. But before we get there, we have some Dresden to discuss. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to take just a couple of seconds. We're going to do some housekeeping. Those of you who may be new to the podcast, pay real close attention. Those of you who are old to the podcast, you may want to fast forward by 15 seconds. Um, if you're new to the podcast, you can engage with us off the podcast by finding us in other places. For instance, we are on Reddit, the legendarium podcast.com uh, or the legendarium podcast uh, at Reddit. Um, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us through email. Uh, our names, Ken, Megan, Todd at the legendarium podcast.com. Uh, engage with us. Discord. We have a discord channel. Hey, there are all kinds of ways for you to engage with us. Please take the time to do so. 27 seconds. 27? Yeah. Sorry about that. I was I was tripping over myself when we were talking about Reddit. Okay. Um, we have we <laughs> have Ken and Megan and Todd. We the three of us are here. And and interestingly enough, I mean this is this is kind of different. Normally when we when we do two episodes, we've we've got a little bit of time in between the episodes. None of us wanted to wait. So we're back in the studio with less than two days. Two two days, three days. Um, it, it, it's it's been about forty eight to seven. It doesn't matter between forty eight and seventy two hours for downloading purposes. It's been two weeks. It doesn't matter for them. It's been two weeks, but for us, that's the beauty of podcasting is it can be whenever we want. How long ago was this for you? It was two weeks for us. Man, I'm glad we got back together because I wanted to talk about all this stuff while it was still fresh in our minds. Yeah. Getting together on a random Tuesday, so we never do that. Yeah, right. Ever. <laughs> um. And we're all kind of in a mood today, so it's anybody's guess what kind of podcast this is going to be. I usually get sillier when I'm in a bad mood, so <laughs> well, this, this bodes well. And we're going to be talking about lots of level two and level three stuff, oh, so just get the hankies yeah, ready for get them, Todd. Yeah, get them ready because Todd's going to be a basket case. Oh, hold yeah. on. So let's before we, go, before we go into the level two, level three stuff, we've got some characters that we still need to talk about. Last time we talked about... Uh, we talked about several new characters. We talked about some small version characters. We talked about some characters that have been repeat characters that have been coming in, and we finally got some more exposition on them. We talked about the fact that we didn't get a chance to talk about Murphy very much, um, and that Murphy and Kincaid, oh yeah, that's going to go well. Um, but but we left a couple of really critical conversations hanging, and I want to jump into and those they, right and now. And they deserve their due. They really they do. do deserve their due. One of them is, and I want to jump in with Lashiel and Sheila. Oh yeah, I want to talk about this one. What? When? When did you guys know 
that Sheila, that there was something wrong about Sheila. I knew, I knew there was something wrong with her when he went to her apartment. Okay. That's the first time or the second time? The first time when he went and he's like, oh, this apartment's not you know, completed. And stuff. It's so, magically and, warded. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's magically warded. And the way she was acting and stuff, I was like, uh, this is a little strange. But I didn't put two and two together like I should have. Like, like I feel like I should have. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, now I feel like an idiot for not seeing that coming. Okay. That everybody kind of goes through because last year, Sheila. But when they started talking about um, you, you keep talking to yourself, Harry, and everything and that's when all of a sudden I went, oh, that's because he's got a voice in his head. That's why he's talking. To, and okay, that's but, when but I have to be honest. When when they were saying that you're talking to yourself, I kind of went, yeah, but everybody does that because I do that all the time. You guys have seen me stop and say, excuse me, the voices are talking. Just a moment. Oh, yeah. And I do that, too. So for me, I'm I'm sitting there and thinking of that. And I'm like, yeah, but I talk out. I, I talk to myself out loud to resolve problems all the time. That doesn't seem strange. What did seem strange is is that he did it around other people and didn't know it. That, That's the kicker. Yeah. That that made me laugh, though, because I thought, is is the narration, because it's in first person, mm-hmm. so it's all in Harry's head. Always. And I thought, is he saying some of this narration out loud? Yeah, yeah. That's what I started and you wonder. Like, you wonder, like, if, if he's walking down the street, narrating him walking down the street and thinking, you know, things out in his head. I'm like, yeah, I wonder if you're doing that. But Brings back visions of, of what about Bob when Bob is walking down the street. I'm fine. I'm great. I'm making the steps. And then there's another guy walking along doing Tourette syndrome <laughs> around him. And it's like, okay, I understand. Megan, when did you know that there was something wrong with Sheila? Uh, I am super dense. So it wasn't until Butters um, called out to Harry and was like, hey, where are you? And and uh, Sheila went, oh, no, you're going to ruin everything. And I was like, okay, that's not a normal response to another person coming in. But, uh. Because I really wanted it to be legit. I was sitting there thinking, you know, he's been alone since uh, Susan. And I've just, and, you know, Murphy has heard him. And I'm like, okay, it'd be kind of nice to have, you know, this person who's kind of a uh, distraction for Harry. Like, it's kind of something he needs, right? So I was, I was buying into that. I was emotionally wanting him to have a girlfriend. And I think Jim, I think to Jim Butcher's credit, he did a wonderful job of setting that up and of making so many of us feel like that. I will say this. I didn't have all the pieces put together, but I knew the moment that she showed up at box box ordered books, box ordered books, that she was somehow wrong. That she was that she was wrong from the get go. And I'll tell you why I knew that she was. There's two reasons, um, and this is one of those moments where. I have to say to myself, okay, Todd, you've been reading books a little too long. Number one, <laughs> Jim Butcher has a habit of introducing characters that we feel like should be in some way, shape, or form sympathetic for them, mm-hmm. and then they turn out to be part of the bad guy plot. Mm-hmm. And so when she showed up being exactly what Harry knew- needed, I said, okay, that she is, she is bad news. Somehow this is going to go south on Harry. Wasn't sure how at first, um, but when he started saying magical wards and she's obviously got some talent, but maybe not not quite as much talent as uh, she, she's got raw talent, but not a lot of training. As soon as those start, things started going on, I was like, okay, it's not Kumori, because originally I thought maybe it was going to be Kumori. Yeah. 
Um, timing would have worked out for some things, you know, if there was uh, mystical enchantment, illusions and those kinds of things to have worked for that encounter on the street. But then Kimori shows up and Sheila's there. Okay, that doesn't work. Um, then I thought, okay, maybe she is, um, maybe she is somebody that has been sent by the, uh, by Gravedigger or by one of the others as, as a distraction intentionally to, eh. it wasn't until Butters walks in that I, that I was like you, Megan, and put the pieces together enough to say, okay, so it's not just Harry talking to himself. It's Harry talking to himself. It's not just Harry talking to people that aren't there. It's Harry talking to people who are not there. Yeah. Right. Um, and and that the connection between Lashiel and Sheila made me and and you remember we talked about this in the last in in the with the last book when we were talking about the palm the the the, uh, right, the, the, the sigil, the, uh, sigil on his, his palm, palm yeah that this was going to turn into bad news and sure enough here it is yeah. bad news I. There's so much I so much more I want to get into about everything with Lashiel about we've got some time, but I, I don't know if we want to go into because it, it kind of delves into level two and level three stuff. So I didn't know if we wanted to go on to characters first and go back to Lashiel. So or... then let's hold on to it because I do want to come back to that. Okay. I, and and I and I think that there are some I think that there's a real good conversation. Uh, I, I, I hope we're going to be able to have a good conversation about it because I think there's some real pieces that pop out. Um we also really didn't get a chance to talk about uh, Billy and um, Georgia. Georgia. Does much need to say be said about him, though? I mean, yes. Only oh. okay, okay. And I'll tell you why. And this this starts to this starts to lead us into. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Billy and Georgia and the Alphas in general. I this gets into I think a little bit of the of of some level two and level three conversation, but but. Maybe not, maybe not as much yet. Maybe I'm going to have to make a case for that. But, but I think what we're seeing with Billy and Georgia and what we're getting an opportunity to see with Billy and Georgia in context with Harry, Billy and Georgia are growing up. Mm -hmm. Yes. They're becoming mature. They're taking their place in society. They're making choices, albeit choices that are not necessarily the ones that most everybody else makes at the conclusion of college. Sure. Uh, because they are werewolves protecting a crime-ridden ghetto area near the near a college campus from bad guys and bad guys right which is awesome i love i love that it's like this is our turf i don't care if it's crap we protect it you know what and the fact that artemis bach knows who they are and he's kind of got his he's aware of of everything and he knows you know I'm aware of the supernatural world. I just don't have to be a part of it. And so he's, he knows who Billy and Georgia are and he knows that the Alphas patrol. So they've made a little name for themselves in the neighborhood. They have. And, and they do good things for people who otherwise would be fodder in this battle of mystical stuff that's going on. But in the midst of that, they're growing up and they're becoming mature and responsible. The moment where they're having their conversation with uh, with each other about Harry and about looking at it and saying, there's something wrong. What do we do about it? That's a powerful moment. I think one of the, th one of the things that is a hallmark of real friends of a, of a true friendship, um, of real caring in the part of other people is that they're willing to call you out on your shit when you're doing stuff that is, um, destructive 
but they are also willing to stand by you as you work that out. Mm-hmm. And and Harry has so few people in his life that have been able or willing to stay with him while he works things out. Right. In the last book, um, the the theme of family ran so heavy through that book. And, and in this book, we touch on something that I have struggled with um, for much of my, for much of my life. I had the Kleenex. Uh, I'm an only child. Um, uh, I was also adopted on my dad's side. Um, so there are there are um, all kinds of interesting dynamics connected with that. But the question of the question of family for me has been one like Harry's of trying to figure out who is there for me. Um, my wife comes from a family of nine. Hmm. And, and as and as wonderful as they have been to embrace me and welcome me into the family, I'm also very aware that I am an in-law. I'm not really part of the family. Um, at least with, with most of the, with most of the brothers and sisters, that's been tough because, because for me, family is not a question of blood. Family is a, family is a question of sacrifice and of willingness to stand side by side when you're going through the tough times. And so in as much as Harry has been, has finally found Thomas and he feels like Thomas is now family. I feel like there, this this issue of family needs to include the fact, and Harry needs to come to realize that Billy and Georgia and the Alphas are a part of his family in a way that he does not appreciate yet. And I really hope that Butcher approaches that a little bit differently and finds ways to include them differently because, because that is a critical piece if he is... If as as we're watching this unfold, if he's going to overcome some of these issues, mm-hmm. he's going to need family, the kind of family that is willing to stand with you through thick and thick, and hold on to you when you've got problems that you cannot solve by yourself. Well, I th- I think that's, uh, I think Harry has started to recognize that, especially since right here, Billy and Georgia are sticking with him, evidenced by the fact that well, okay the. Blue Beetle's been messed up. Here, take the car. No, take, I don't need it. Just, just shut take up, the car. suck it up, and realize that you need help, and say thank you, and go. Yeah. And he goes, thank okay. you. Okay. And <laughs> you know, and he and he sheepishly does, and he accepts help. Finally, accepts help, and his pride doesn't get in the way, and say, I I do this on my own. I you know I'm a lone wolf. He's not a lone wolf anymore, and pun not intended. Or but, a you lone know, bear. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the bear? That he carved into his belt buckle. Oh yeah, lone bear. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But he, I, I think he's starting to recognize that he's got people that actually do have his and have that his are back. capable. Yeah, and are because capable. they're old enough now. When he first met Billy and the Billy and the Alphas, they were teenagers. They were kids that barely were done with pimples. Yeah. But now they're now they've they've grown up. They've seen a lot and they know a lot. George is a grad student going into psychology, right? Mm-hmm. Psychiatry. So, I mean, you've got, you've got some people that have some smarts, they have some experience, 
and they have the capacity to be able to help him in ways that he needs. It's, yeah. it's interesting listening to you guys talk about this as somebody like you two are married, like you have that relationship. Um, not, not to each other. Yeah. Not. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> you are not married to each other. You are each married to really attractive women who somehow are attracted to you. Yeah, they're not listening, so you don't need to you don't need to compliment them. All right, whatever. <laughs> but when you've been alone for a certain amount of time and you don't necessarily have a number one, like there isn't, I like this is morbid, but I sometimes sit and wonder and try to figure out how long if I died in my apartment, how long would it take for someone to actually like miss me to the point where they came to check on me uh, it might be you know and it's like i said it's really morbid and i try not to think about it too much less than 24 hours i don't know if that's true less than 24 hours do you want to know why why because you wouldn't be responding in our chat group and we would go ken and i would figure it I don't out know, half the time i respond to the chat group and it kills the conversation so yes. <laughs> but you respond <laughs> That's true. I do a lot of smiley faces. Your your little face wouldn't but pop it, up there. Like, That's it's, right. I mean, even when I when I discover that I have people who have my back, like I'll get sick and I've been alone for four days and, you know, being alone in my head is really depressing. And yeah, I do talk like I can get where Harry's yeah. coming from, where he yeah. doesn't realize that this is not an actual converse, like a conversation he's having with another person. Yeah, because it can seem so real. Um, oh, good. I sound crazy. I am. And uh, so am I. But to realize that there are people who really would just like run over some soup or yeah. like run you to the doctor. I, I got a concussion on a first day once I was ice skating. I fell. I don't ice skate anymore. <laughs> but um, I texted one of my friends just to be like, hey, so this happened. So if I don't wake up in the morning, you know, like I'll, I'll text you in the morning if I wake up. And if I don't call my mom. And she was like, do you want me to come stay with you? And I was like, no, you don't have to. She goes, I'm I'm coming to stay with you. Like, which was just the nicest thing. Is that Kate? No, it was Teresa. Oh, it yep, makes sense. It was totally Teresa. Totally um, Teresa. And it was Mother's Day, and we both hate Mother's Day, so it was awesome. But uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> I, it was it was this huge realization where I'm like, I I do have family that I'm very close with, but they have their number one, like yeah. you know, and even my mom, who was probably my number one, she has my dad and she has my siblings to worry about, and yeah, and so I can I can see Harry's point of view a little bit, where even though he. He has these people who he loves and that he trusts. He's still used to doing things on his own, and it's hard it. sometimes to reach out. Yeah, I and get it's it. it's also hard to be like, I'm going through this thing. I don't want to put you through it. Like literally, this is a life and death situation. If I can protect you from that, I'm going to protect you from yeah. that. And it is actually something that he's able to do. And and Megan, I think you're. I, I think your insight on that is tremendously valuable. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Let's talk about Thank you to my like have, for coming to my TED Talk, everybody. I was going to say, I feel like I have nothing to contribute. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's okay. How about we shift gears and talk about Bob? Well, I was going to say, while we're still talking about family, how about we talk about Malcolm? Oh. We haven't spoken about him at all yet. Yay, Malcolm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to hold off on that one until we get to the level three conversation, but we can talk about it. We, we can talk. We can wait. I mean. Let's I, talk about Bob, and then we'll talk about Malcolm and go into the level three. How about that? All right. All right. I, I, I like that, because because I think we need to talk <laughs> about Bob. We only need, like, two minutes on Bob. It what was, about he's, Bob? He's funny. That was, it was what great. about Bob? It was great to see him unleash. It was great to see just how scary he actually can be when he's told, okay, let loose. And Okay, but, but here's the deal. When he does it the first time, that was freaky deaky. Yes. 
That's right? what I'm saying. That's what I'm talking about. The, the beginning. The second time, they stole Bob. Right. They yeah. break into the house. They steal Bob. Not okay. Right. Did you guys? Did you guys believe that Bob was really telling them everything they needed to do and was really being bad Bob again? His eyes were blue. But did you really believe it? Uh, I thought that there could have been a real chance that, that yeah, that they knew the, I mean, because he was Kimmler's air spirit before he was Justin's and before he was. Yes, but remember. I he was didn't Harry's. necessarily. So I thought maybe there was, they knew some, you know, like key to switch uh, on evil Bob and. I didn't necessarily believe it, but part of it is I didn't want to because he'd had that whole thing with Harry earlier where he told him about Kimmler and Harry was like, you don't have to ever talk about this again. Like you can right. now forget all of it and just completely quash that. And, that's and so exactly I really hoped I, that yeah. that is what had happened. I thought that was the safeguard that could have been put in place. So, and yeah. I, I think Bob's smart. He can fake being evil with and the that's, best of them. And that's the thing that I thought I kept saying to myself, they took Bob. Bob's going to tell him how to do just enough of the spell to screw it up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds like Bob. That would have been like Bob. I, 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 I fully expected that that was going to be that that Bob was going to be like, don't worry, I've taken care of it. But then he says, and then Bob winked at me. Bob winked. I didn't even know we could <laughs> so do that. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think Bob has or well, Harry has one benefit that uh, that I want to explore when we kind of talk about, you know, good Harry and stuff and Harry's self-perception. But uh, um, he treats Bob like Bob is a person he regards Bob. Yes. Mm -hmm. He doesn't treat him like a utility, like a, you're an air spirit. You're my, my, uh, phantasmic encyclopedia. You're, you're still sentient. You're Bob, you know, whereas the Kemlerites are probably all like, get over here, air you're, spirit, do my you're bidding. You're a tool. You're we'll a tool. Use you now. Yeah. You're a tool. Speaking of Craig. I have, <laughs> I have Bob and I have a Leatherman. Two tools. Yeah. Craig's right there. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's back. He's back making sure we behave. Anyway, but I think I think that Harry's regard for Bob and treating him actually as a person or at least as a personality, as a persona, I, I think that giving Bob respect actually works to Harry's benefit. That's an and and I and I think that's a great word to use that he gives him respect, that he that he treats he treats Bob's knowledge and the fact that Bob has that knowledge and makes a choice to use that knowledge in his behalf as a partnership, not as I own you, so you do my bidding. Right. That's that's a really interesting characteristic. And there's a contractual obligation between Bob and Harry, but I think that if it doesn't transcend that, I think that it's starting to. Yeah. Um, I, I think that I, and I think that there is some real concern on Bob's part for Harry as well. I think Bob has, I, and I'm, and maybe it comes from, and, and of course here we are, you know, reading all of this stuff into the, into this, into this character that, you know, may or may not have all these things going on with him. Maybe we'll find out, but I wonder if, I wonder if Bob has spent so much time in the possession of, and the service of really horrible people that he's going to do everything he can to be connected to somebody with some humanity sure. as long as possible. Yeah. And also at the same time, Harry does have that measure of respect where I'll, every once in a while he'll let Bob go out. Okay. You can go out tonight, do something <laughs> yeah. specific, go sit in the cat. 
and <laughs> check out the strip clubs, I guess, if that's what you're going right. to do. He brings him He brings him new romance novels. Yeah. Harry, I, I release you. Go be in a... Yeah, I just... I love that he chooses to be in the T-Rex. That was the best. That was probably the most interesting part of... The, of all the things that Bob... Of all the places that Bob could go. Yeah, the T-Rex I, makes I really sense. wasn't expecting that. And I laughed really, really hard. <laughs> I did too. For a long I did time. too. Um, there, there is certainly... There is... As a writer, I think Jim Butcher is getting as as we've as we develop with him through these through this series, um, he's really finding new ways to use um, the the pieces that he's placed on the table, uh, so to speak, in in ways that are just surprising enough that they keep it fresh and interesting. The the say what you want to about the books being procedural. Say what you want to about the books being formulaic. Um, I, I can say the same thing about a, about a chocolate cake being just another recipe, but somebody who executes that recipe exceptionally well gets my time and gets my money. In the same way, I think Jim Butcher is doing a wonderful job with a, a private eye novel, a, a gumshoe novel that has a little bit of wizardry in it, but he's he continues to push the boundaries of expert execution, yeah. I think at least. I've, I've really enjoyed it. This has been Todd's TED Talk, <laughs> and it was excellent. We're all going to end up having a TED Talk. The Thanks, universe. I appreciate that. Well, can I usurp the conversation? I wanted to say amen, but I didn't know if that into was. Into a little level three-ish stuff. Absolutely. I really want to talk about Harry's self-perception and his self-perception versus the way that others perceive him, because we've seen a lot of it. I mean, Bach, uh, Butters, the Alphas, uh, Thomas, they yeah. all they all had something to say. E even Lashiel had something to say about the way that Harry perceives himself versus the way that he is actually perceived by the world around him. In the sense that I mean, he 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 bears his soul to his his dead father about how it is all just crushing him because he is not good enough to save everybody, and. At the same time, everybody looks at him. Billy even says it. He's like, you don't understand how much we all look up to you because yeah. you are willing to stand in between danger and us for yeah. our benefit, not for your benefit. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, I think, I don't know. I just, I don't have a whole lot of depth to say about that. I probably marked a couple of things, but, but it, it, it's a running thing through the entire series that Harry thinks of himself as alone. He thinks of himself as the only one that can stand in the way he thinks of himself a little bit as, as inferior or not worthy of people believing in him, in him sometimes, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but yet he does all of these good things because they're good things, not because he stands to benefit from them. Yeah. We, we, we see, we see in Harry, um, I think one of the best pieces of humanity, um, and that is that that we we do things for others, and it in in many ways it's the it's the same kind of thing that um, Sanderson explores with the Knights Radiance, that they they do things for others when others cannot do them for themselves, not for reward, not for recognition, but because it just has to be done. Yeah, and who else is gonna do it? Yeah, nobody. There's, there's, there is enough going and, and, you know, he's, um, he has, um, he has the conversation with his dad. He has those two conversations with his dad, by the way, yeah. who do you think, who do you think broke down the walls enough to let him 
be able to be able to communicate with him in his dreams. Honestly, I think it was Lashiel. Me too. Originally, I was thinking maybe it was his mom because of the leftover thing that Thomas and Harry both got when they had that soul gaze for in each other's yeah. at, at each other. The anti death curse. The anti death curse. The death blessing. <laughs> but I, I don't. It's still think... a death curse for uh, for what's his bucket vampire white vampire dude. That guy. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think it was intentional. I think it was a byproduct of her I, in invading his mind or her being allowed to. I think it's a, I think it's him. absolutely an accident of him touching the coin and having the shadow of Lashiel in his brain because notice that she show he shows up after Sheila. Yeah. So I think it's Lashiel. Mm-hmm. I think that Lashiel taking form and starting to interact with Harry breaks down enough of the barriers that it allows his dad to show up. But the moment when he has that that first conversation with his dad, um, I re- I remember, I remember the first time that I was with my dad up in the mountains, and we were equals. But I was still, I mean, he was still, he was still my dad, right? And to hear him say well, I don't have all the answers either. But what we have is an obligation to, to do what we can do. But that's all we have to do. We can let other people help us. We can let other people do these things. As, as, as they're having that conversation, it brought back so many clear memories of those same kinds of interactions with my dad in, a, in similar kinds of settings. Um, hot chocolate instead of coffee, but that's a different story. Um, <laughs> hot chocolate is delicious. But that moment, I think, does something for Harry that he's needed all this time. McCoy probably tried to give it to him at some point. Um, I would guess. I would think so. I would guess that somewhere along the line, McCoy tried to give it to him. Probably one of the many reasons he regards him such high high esteem. And And I think he still does. And I think he still does. I think we're going to see some reconciliation on that eventually. But but Harry's got to do what what you do with all what what all men have to do with their fathers at some point, and that is that you come to recognize that they are fallible. Well, Harry already Harry never had the chance to really do that with his own dad because his mm-hmm. own dad was dead. Now he has that chance mm-hmm. to not only say, you know, where were you? What how how does this work? And what do you, why do you choose now? And and it's this it's this wonderful. Uh, I bawled driving to work that morning just sobbing and i know that people if if anybody was looking at me on the freeway they and they're seeing me just shudder in my car and they probably they were probably thinking well it must be a good song that he's listening to because <laughs> i was just uh i was i was just beside myself during that particular scene it was um well written it was touchingly portrayed oh, yeah. but it has stayed with me uh, uh, the the vision the image of that has stayed with me enough to recognize that the that that Harry needs to go through all of this so that he can be useful more useful to everyone else he has to figure out that he's he has to figure that out and the only person that can say that sometimes the only person you can hear that from is a parent well and Harry you're right like they're they're helping Harry to actually reach his full potential because we keep talking about what a powerful 
wizard he is. He's not, he's oddly trained, so he's a little bit more brutal than other wizards may be. But he, Harry is in a very vulnerable place right now. Um, in the previous book, he learned that his mother had consorted with vampires. She was not the sweet and wonderful person he had always hoped she would be. Right. His relationship with Ebenezer McCoy was seriously damaged, as was his perception of what magic is. So he has like his whole fundamental truth of who he is has been like he's it's been damaged. And so he's trying to wrap his brain around that. Um, in addition, he uh, his hand is injured, which is affecting his magic, which right. again goes back to. What use am I if I have no magic? And if I fail enough times, I'm going to start believing that I can't do this and I won't be able to. Yeah. I think it's affecting his magic psychosomatically, mm -hmm. personally. Just, oh, yeah. I mean, you notice he doesn't use fire at all in this book until the very until end. The very end. So which he, was which was a really nice touch by by Butcher. Yeah. Nicely done. He used kinetic magic where in the first five books or in the first six books, he would have used fuego. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the the fire has been his, his piece of choice. Yeah. Let's talk real quickly about the nature of magic. Um, Harry's, Harry talks in this book a couple of times, and, and this may lead us into our level two, level three conversation quite nicely. Harry talks several times in, in, in this book that his belief was that there is fundamentally good magic mm -hmm. based on the powers of creation, and there is fundamentally evil magic based on the powers of death and corruption and, and built around... Uh, built around the the taking of life, right. the granting of life and the taking of life, and that one is never to be touched. And then he starts getting all of this feedback from other people saying, by the way, the 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 whole conversation with Kumori about yeah, that's... Einstein can live forever, we can eliminate death. Has uh... anybody stopped to think about the fact that if we eliminate death, we're going to have a tough time feeding everyone. I'm sorry, well, but is that, am I the only one that stops and thinks about... Yeah, I'm the only one that stops and thinks about there's, that. There's Never that mind. also, but... <laughs> You're not. I, I read I'm that. I'm sure there are many <laughs> listeners who are saying, no, Todd, you are right. You are correct there. You are there. absolutely right. That's Although, the one thing that I want to look at all of those people that was like, stop it. We we have a tough time as it is getting food to everybody. Well, there, there are several things I thought about that. One is that, you know, as Jeff Goldblum would say, life finds a way. If there yeah, were that many yeah. people on Earth still, we would find a way. To feed that many people, I, I have a feeling. But sure hope so. The other thing I thought is what Harry pointed out is with all of the good people you save, you get all the bad people yeah. You know, with eternal life too. Great. And the other thing I thought is the whole eternal life thing just breeds complacency. It's like nothing is urgent anymore. Q so, would say that, that's for sure. Yeah. So and it, it I I don't know. It, it's the fact that time is finite, that, that life is... That life ends sometime that, that inspires people to do things. I'm living on borrowed time. I've only got 30 more years. I want to leave a legacy for the I people. I could die that come tomorrow. What, is, yeah. what have I done with I, my life? Yeah, exactly. All of yeah. that stuff. I think that eternal life or the, the, the prospect of immortality on this, on this earth would breed complacency. Oh my gosh, people it would, would get find so no boring sense after of a while. Urgency. It's, it's yeah. mortality that breeds urgency. Yeah. yeah. And it also breeds innovation, I think. So, so if that's the case, um, so let's, let, but let's go back to the, let's go back to the idea of magic being not about itself, but about the purposes, the ends to which you put it. Does that mean that magic is the ultimate Machiavellian tool that the ends justifies the means in all situations and all, and all propositions? I say, no, I think there are still magics that should be untouchable. I mean, you know, Kimori makes a, makes a great 
argument, I suppose, I suppose a compelling argument. I mean, and she even goes out of her way to help people, you know, with her necromancy. Yes, she does. So it's like she goes out of her way to, to not, was it Boney Tony that she? No, it was the no, it was EMT. The yeah, it was the EMT. That's right. Who she went out of her way to save, which gave Harry pause and said, oh, wait, maybe she's not just some, you know, wanting to raise the dead killing machine. But then her argument. But certainly Cowell is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He is. He, yeah. he just wants power. But but she she has, I think her mind, I can understand where she's coming from, but I think her perspective is completely screwed up in that sense. Well, and Harry has uh, part of his conversation with his dad at the end is about, you know, am I evil? Like, is this going to turn me into something? And his dad says, you still get to choose what you'll do and what you will be and what you will become. Like, just because you do magic that sometimes you are not proud of doesn't make you a monster yeah. if you're trying to protect people you're really trying to do the right thing i i can't say that the ends justify the means and at the same time your intent matters you want the you want the quote you want the I, line i could read it but yes go ahead you Harry, life isn't simple there's such a thing as black and white right and wrong but when you're in the thick of things sometimes it's hard for us to tell you didn't do what you did for your own benefit. You did it so that you could protect others. That doesn't make it right, but it doesn't make you a monster either. You still have free will. You still get to choose what you will do and what you will be and what you will become. He clapped my shoulder and turned and walked away. As long as you believe you are responsible for your choices, you still are. You've got a good heart, son. Listen to it. It reminds me of a of an opportunity that I had when I was, when I was in England. Uh, a friend and I were talking about um, interesting experiences that we had had. Um, and he had had the opportunity to, to chat with a gentleman from the SAS. Um, and at one point we, the, the conversation, uh, as, as sometimes it will turned to, uh, some pretty, some pretty interesting questions. And he said, so have you ever killed anybody? And here's this guy who nice guy, really nice guy gets this look on his face and he says, on duty or off? And and he says, he says, well, off. He says, oh, well, absolutely not. Never, never off duty. Mm-hmm. And he said, do I even want to ask on duty? He said, nope. No, you don't. And, and, I, and I think that brings us, you know, the, the question is always brought back to, uh, not always, but, but often with some of my friends and in some kinds of situations, the question comes back to, are you willing to do horrible things because you know that it brings about a good result. And I think that that, that yeah. question is a fascinating question. I'm glad I'm not answering it myself today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that, 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 that I think that that question is one that at some level, most of us probably need to think about at least a little bit. I, I had it put to me once. With, I, I took a concealed weapons and carry license class and the teacher said, you know, if, if you were to carry around a gun, you would have to be able to reconcile, your, reconcile yourself to the fact that you may have to use it someday. Yes. And if you were to kill someone, could you live with that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he talked about um, how there are three kinds of people in the world. And you have the wolves and you have, you know, the wolves, the people who are going to do evil things for their own means. Wolves, sheep and sheepdogs. The wolves, sheep. The sheep who are the people who just, you know, live in their lives and you have the sheepdogs who are willing to do, who are willing to do what it takes to protect the sheep. Um, 
And I like, and I, I thought about it and the more I thought about it, I'm like, oh, okay. I, I think I, I know where I am in that scenario. Fun fact, I did not get a gun, but. <laughs> My, that's, that's the fun fact. Right. That is the speech that I give boys when they come over to date my daughters. <laughs> well, and, I need to know this context. And I look at them. Well, when I, what I, when I look at them and I, I tell them the same thing, I said, well, sheep and sheep dogs. <laughs> I say, but, but here's the thing. Most of them expect me to say, and I think you're a wolf and I'm ready to, I'm ready to put you down. That's not what I say. <laughs> what I say to them is I've been on sheepdog duty for 18 years or 16 years or 25 years tonight i'm trusting you Ooh. to be on sheepdog duty and bring her home in the exact condition in which she leaves and in with without without a doubt their response in that moment tells me yes no or hell no and i have never been wrong Oh, wow. I have never been wrong. And I have told my daughters and occasionally I've been ignored. And then they come back and they say, I'm so sorry. And yeah. I'm saying, you doggone well better be. Because I have never been wrong. That conversation with, anyway, it's, it's a big, yeah. it's a deal. It's I think a, poor Harry needs more people he can talk to about this sort of thing. Like Murphy would be somebody who would understand, but is he willing to have those kind of conversations with her? I don't know. Is she willing to be vulnerable with him? I don't know. Harry's problem is he sees himself as the only sheepdog, not as one of the sheepdogs. He's got somebody he could talk to about it, and he refuses to talk to them about it. And who is that? Michael. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. But, he also, but he also has himself. We've already established <laughs> the fact that Harry's a little bit crazy. Let's talk about how Harry has this conversation with himself do you guys ever have conversations with yourself like this am i the only one that's that crazy is that is that maybe why people look at me a little bit crazy it could just be checking, Todd. just checking the 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 scene in the book where harry has the conversation where where harry and harry have the conversation with lashiel oh yeah um this is the second time that we've had the opportunity to see what we would probably refer to as dark mirror harry right yeah. yeah. I, I'm not so sure it's a dark mirror Harry as much as it is the aspect of Harry's consciousness that says at some point we have to be clear about what it is that we do and the, what it is that we're giving up and where the line is at. As long as we're clear about where the line is at and what we're making our choice for, fine. But the two aspects of Harry's perception the the one that we see on a regular basis and the one that he has these conversations with on occasion the all uh, the all logic they draw yeah. the line slightly differently hmm. and and that for us partly because we're seeing this from a a standpoint of an individual that's trying to be obviously good means that when you draw that line just this much to the left everything skews gray and it looks darker and worse than it really is. But Blackstaff McCoy has drawn the line in the same spots. He's used mm. magic to kill. Yeah. He's accessed forbidden magics, all in the name of a good cause. Yes. He's he's but... also gone the other way though, and not done 
Like he was supposed to kill Harry if he Ab- stepped out of line. Absolutely. I'm not denying. I'm, and that that kind of helps make my case. So are sure. you saying that Harry is setting himself up to be a Blackstaff? I'm saying that Jim Butcher might be setting Harry up for the conversation. And that part of the conversation between Harry and Blackstaff McCoy at some point in time, especially with the decimation of the wardens in the process of all of this, uh, of all of the battle, is going to include that part of the conversation. Include Harry replacing perhaps McCoy, maybe? Perhaps. He's very old, by the way. He's like hundreds of years old. Ebenezer McCoy? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He's... I wonder, I mean, the wizards can self-heal, but I wonder if they get to decide at what point they will stop looking like they're aging. I don't know. It kind of sounds to Harry like they just continue to deteriorate until like they fall apart. Like their Is that what you're saying? By the nah, way, I was I was thinking Mel, more of the Belgariad, but that's yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think they just age very slowly. That just feels like the case. Their to cells me. are always regenerating. Yeah, they're they're just yeah. always regenerating. But eventually they will die. I mean, he even says it in the book. One day the world will wake up and you won't be on it. Yeah, yeah. that's just fact. that's how it goes. Yeah. I'm just really glad that he decided not to have his hand amputated. Hooray! It'd be interesting to see if it grew back. <laughs> uh, That'd be a little creepy. It but it I have been. a feeling it wouldn't either. Thank, but... thank you, thank you, Mister Lizard. Right. Um, I was thinking Deadpool, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that Deadpool would work. Uh, either way, we've just gone into the world of Marvel comic movies. Remember how we're nerdy? I yeah, like it. just a little bit. <laughs> so let's let's talk real quickly about level three, and then I want to end with a couple of, of funny thoughts. I want to. I wanted to bring up uh, when you brought up his conversation with Lashiel. I just oh that. Everything about her screams, this is exactly how the devil operates. Mm. And she's so convincing. Her arguments are so valid. And, and she's so mild. Like, I'm and... so helpful. I'm just here for your benefit. And, and Harry knows me. it. I'm so nice. And he knows it. And then he ugh, signs on anyway because he's so sure that he's got the greater good in mind. And, you know, he's got the control. I and feel one the, like one of the things that he says to you that's kind of interesting if this is how tempting the shadow of Lashiel is, yeah. how powerful would she be if I let her out? Well, and he says, he says, I mean, yeah, take a little bit now and then a little bit more, and pretty soon, how soon, how long until I have to dig up that coin in the in the basement, yeah. in the cellar? Yep. So she. <laughs> but but I think that this is this is a really interesting part of, and for me at least, it's it's kind of a level two conversation. Um, the the question of where do we compromise values. Yeah. In in terms of making choices for expediency, um, I, I think that I think that all of us have to make that choice. All of us and all of us are going to make those choices uh, differently. But some of us get to that point, And instead of holding true to whatever values it is that we espouse, we step across the line and we say this value is no longer worth it if I can get this outcome because the outcome is worth it. And while some are applauded as patriots for having done so. Um, I'm I'm not sure that yeah. that's necessarily a a good thing. And there's a and that is a that is a level two conversation as a country, um, as countries in general. Um, how often do we do that? For how often do governments do that uh, on behalf of certain kinds of policies that they believe are going to be good for the populace? But that go in the face of things that have brought those countries to this to the points where they are at right now. Yeah, I think that that's a that's a maybe it's maybe it's not worth discussing for anybody else. But I find that a very fascinating level two kind of conversation. You know what it reminds me of? Did you guys ever see the Deep Space Nine episode in the Pale yes. Moonlight? Yes. Oh, the best episode where he he fakes the message 
gives it to the Romulans. They find out it's fake, and so he blows up the Rom. He has Garrick blow up the Romulans. Yes. In fact, I just in have, an effort to get the Romulans into the war makes it look like a Dominion. Ah, oh, I have been. I there have it been, is. I what do you? I've been rewatching Deep Space Nine. Uh, if you haven't seen it in the last 15 years you deserve to have it spoiled because you should have seen it by now go watch it go watch it it is so he tells you at the beginning how it ends but it's but it's exactly true it's like what are you willing to give up what lines are you willing to cross in order to protect you know order to advance the greater good there are people whose job it is is to cross the line i'm glad those people are there there are also people who whose job it is to stay on the other side of the line. When you get your role mixed up, that's where I think we have trouble as a society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's 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 walk away from level two for just a second. Let's talk about level three stuff. Oh, I was going to go backwards into level one, but that's cool. Go, <laughs> level, go to level three. Level one we'll probably have some fun with because there's a couple of funny moments that I that I do still I think need to be I know, talked I, about. I one have more one time. line that I want to read so um, when we get there. But I want to talk uh, about what's coming up too. But, but level yeah. level three. Level three stuff. Are you picking up some themes that you feel like James Butcher is really, or Jim Butcher is really carrying through all of Probably these books? James, you know, he might be James. Well, I don't. I I see a lot of political things that are starting to weave through. So a lot of level two stuff that's starting to weave through the the series itself. Each book kind of has its own level three uh, overriding point. Like in this one, it's family. In this one, it's belonging. In the last one, it was. Well, I guess in the last one it was family. In this one, it's it's shades of gray you know could be but i think it's also i i think family is the thing that weaves through a lot of this oh i think so yeah i mean the very beginning of the series he has nobody else and then except bob and the cat and the nature and and the and the and the saving power of love yes billy and georgia love harry enough to confront him about hard things his dad loves him enough to do the effort mm-hmm. that is required to intercede for him. Um, in, in the, in the previous one, Susan loved him enough that it protected him from vampires. I think you could go so far as to say Bob loves him enough that even Bob is willing to sacrifice his chance to get more power in order to maintain some humanity. Um, I think this, I, I think that's a real, I think it's subtle. Um, but I think it's, and, and doggone it all. If Lachille doesn't twist that that piece in such a way to ensnare Harry even further, that's what she does. She's already that's, started. That's that's what she does. That's what evil does. It uses just enough truth to manipulate, you know, up manipulate until, you into doing and into believing the lie. Up until Lachille, I think my favorite portrayal of what the devil probably is like is James Wood's portrayal of Hades in Hercules. In Hercules. Um, because and used car salesman. In fact, when I watched him do an interview, and he said, he said, you know, he said all of this, you know, big bad evil stuff. He says, I think the devil's a con man. Oh yeah. And he says, oh, yeah. the, the 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 epitome is the is the scene where he says, come on, kid, just shake hands. We dance, we schmooze, we all go home happy. It's not a big deal. Just shake hands. We'll call it a deal. Yeah. Do you guys ever see broadcast news? No. This is really dating. Yes, <laughs> but- I have. Albert Brooks, when he's talking about this is what the devil is, he comes in smiling and shiny and yeah. Yep. You know, he's not going to come in with with hellfire and, and horns and all that. He comes in, you know, and looks like he wants to be your buddy. He comes in. And William hurts the devil. Kim comes in and uh, says, here we are. Yep. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of power to save your life so that you can do good things. 
You just have to ask. Well, and now, how, how is this going to bite him in the butt? Because he's a warden. He's going to have to take that up with the white council eventually that, A, he's got a demon voice in his head. And, and he's been accessing Hellfire. And he's been accessing Hellfire. And his brother is a vampire. And now he can do black magic. Which I'm sure a lot of them know how to do black magic, but don't. I mean, that's probably on its face not a problem, but he's using it to conjure, you know, to reanimate T-Rexes. And mm-hmm. Did you get a such. kick out of Corpse Taker saying, oh, how delightful they're still teaching you all of the old tricks? <laughs> right? Yes. I was like... That's because nobody survives as defense against the dark arts teacher for more than one year. Uh, right. Exactly. <laughs> that was hilarious. That's funny. All right. So we, we've, we've kind of, I, I do want to say one other thing uh, on a level three. We, we talked a little bit last time about butters and how Thomas just thought butters was going to get himself killed. Um, and I think and one even of, worse going to get Thomas and, and Harry killed. Right. He's yeah. going to get everybody killed um, because he's going to run away. And he, and he doesn't. Stop distracting me. Okay. Um, I feel like there is a through line where characters throughout these books, so this could be a whole series through line, where people realize that they are capable of a whole lot more than they thought and that they are valuable just as they are and the skills that they have are valuable. I mean, you yes. have Thomas and he is uh, he's really struggling, but he's still, he's not giving in to... Um, like he has a lot of like he's afraid that he's going to hurt somebody and he's still doing what he can to um not give in to his thirst, his hunger. And then you have Butters and he is in this whole new world and it's really scary. And he mm-hmm. is not magic and he cannot fight and he is skinny and little, but he is valuable. He can protect himself and he can take care of her. I just I I love the visual where you have all of these ghosts flying around and all of these zombies walking around, and he is in the middle of this circle, this protective circle, wearing the suit, marching in place, drumming away. You have, um, you know, uh, Bach, who, he's he's not asked to do much in this one, basically, but he, he realizes, like, at one point, Harry is like, Oh, I don't care about Bach, blah, blah, blah. And Bach immediately knows what's going on and catches on. He's right. like, okay, I'm just going to stay out of it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and, he, and, he, and Harry gets a little, a little thank you for his troubles, which is... Yeah. Which in Harry currency is big. Right? So. But he has... Harry has a conversation with Butters where Butters is like, I'm afraid. He's like, fear is a part of life. It, it's... I wrote down this quote. It's a warning mechanism. That's all. It tells you when there's danger around. Your job, it's... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the fear's job is to help you survive. You've reacted to the fear, but you haven't faced it and put it in the right perspective. You have to make up your mind to overcome it. Like, these are people who, time and time again, like, some people run away. That's a way to deal with fear. Um, But these people who stay, who do what they can, whether it's big or small, like Mort, is it's a very short scene. It's a very short chapter. He's only Mm -hmm. in there briefly. He's like, I'm not getting involved, but here's what I know. Like, here are these people who are doing what they can, and then they're letting the people who really know what they're doing take care of it. And I I, I really appreciate that. Like, I just, I'm always grateful when people remind me that I have value because sometimes I feel like I'm not important and I don't matter. And I think everybody has that moment, or maybe they don't. And oh, sure. if you don't, you're probably insane, but also I don't judge. Um, 
but it's it's nice to have somebody and I, I just love that harry stands up for butters he stands up for all of these people it's like no you can take care of yourself please be my drummer this is how you protect yourself and he gives them tools <laughs> right. and as a result of standing up for them they change yeah yes i think maybe that's a maybe that's a real powerful piece and I don't level, know that he knows he's doing it. But. Of level three weaving throughout mm -hmm. these books. Beautifully, beautifully expressed. Thank you. You are welcome. Um, I'll pay do you we, for that later. Do we, do we want to talk <laughs> about what's coming up? Well, I mean, because we got a whole big world and we've got. We do have a big world, but I, but so I, much. but I think we have to, we have to talk about a couple of, a couple of funny, funniest lines, funniest lines from the book that you, that you found. Go ahead, Megan. My favorite one. Ah, trusty libido. Even when I'm up to my ears in trouble, you are <laughs> there to distract me from such trivial matters as survival. <laughs> Ken, how about you? My, my, favorite, my favorite line comes from him when he's talking to Butters. If there's one thing I'm good at, it's ruining people's day. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so I got to tell you, mine was, uh, mine, mine was two lines, but they were, they were two lines that were used in groups of threes. The oh, first yeah. one was, I guess you don't become Merlin by collecting bottle caps. <laughs> oh, First yeah. he then says it. Running through. Oh, then Ramirez says it. And then he says, I guess you don't become chief of the wardens by collecting bottle caps either. Like right? Somebody says it out loud. Yeah. Somebody says it yeah. out loud. <laughs> Ramirez says it, I think. But the other one was when Harry goes, I know I'm not crazy. Actually, if I was crazy, would I, would I even be aware of it? Yep. You know, he's having this conversation and then later on he has the conversation with Cal and he says, you're a madman. He says, no, I'm not. Actually, if I were mad, would I know it? <laughs> and I was like, okay, beautifully done, Jim. That was, that was, especially because it's at this, the height of this just awful thing that's going on. You're a madman. No, I'm not. Actually, Wait. if I was, would I know it? But also, <laughs> it's a very relatable moment for, well, it was for me where I'm like, I, I think we've all had that moment where I'm like, I'm not crazy. Wait, am I? Oh. No. No. I, I, I just started a new semester at school, and the other day, I, one, of, one of my students had had me in a previous class, and he said, so what would class be like if the voices really took over? And the rest of the class looked at him, and then looked at me and said, huh? <laughs> so I was like, let me explain. There's would too take much. Too long. Let me, let me sum, sum up. up. <laughs> Jinx, you owe me a Coke. Yes, I do. Oh, I'm sure my. I do. Goodness! What All right. So what's here? what's coming up, Ken? I I was gonna say. By the way, if you ask your if you ask yourself if you're crazy, you're not crazy. If you answer yourself, then you're crazy. Oh dear! Oh, no. I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Is that close enough? Jinx, spend... you owe me a coke. <laughs> no, I was actually concerned for you in oh. that time. <laughs> oh, thanks. I like this line too. I wanted to throw it in there because I think it all the time. There's an almost primal joy in the sheer motion and power of running a race. Children run everywhere for a reason. It's fun. Grown-ups can forget that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I get yeah. that. I get that. That's why I try to I understand. on running. But I understand. <sighs> I All right, Ken, what's coming up? I just, I just There's so much. I want to know still, you know. No. He, we haven't seen Michael. He's got to talk to Michael sooner rather than later, especially now that Last Year's talking to him. He's got to talk to Michael sooner. Soon. Yeah. Or Father Ford Hill. Or Father Forehill, or both. I I'm, I think he's. I mean, if I'm if I'm Harry's confidant, I'm telling him go to Father Forehill, let Father Forehill go to Michael, and kind of be the intermediary on this one because I don't think you want to go to Michael. Yeah. Knocking the blow. 
Well, and I, I think I think he's afraid, and with good reason, that Michael's first reaction will be, you know, unleash Amorakius and, you know, let's free that that coin. But I think it's the reason that he did it that's going to soften the blow. Not pun not intended there, but I in terms of, you know, meeting with Michael. Michael will understand that and he'll be a little bit less quick to I think Michael's you know, gonna say the, the same thing that Lashiel said. You could have picked up the kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but no, you so. picked up the coin. Well I kind of wonder though if like Harry is able to heal himself like his body just completely regenerates if it will reject the if it'll like just regenerate through that and reject Lashiel's symbol on would, his hand. That would interesting be interesting to find out. Like your body getting rid of a sliver on its own. I th I think we're also looking at a situation where now that the White Council has been decimated mm -hmm. in this war with the vampires. Or at least the wardens have. I guess a lot of the White Council has A lot too. of the White Council has too. And, and they are on their heels. I think we're going to see uh, a, a, a ramping up of the battle of the war between the vampire courts. I, I think we're going to see the Jade Council or the the Jade Court. I don't think we are only because it seemed like somebody a few books ago mentioned that we never see that. That's too bad That's because I really like to see that. That would have been awesome. Um, but I think we're also going to see, I I, I think Mavra is going to, I, th I don't think we're done with Mavra. I think Mavra no, totally plays not. a much bigger role. <laughs> I, like you were saying, I think she plays a much bigger, although his, his little thing to get rid of her, <laughs> get rid of her was amazing. You know, it was like, she she seemed really cowed by that, but it it was it was quite uh, quite quite the quite the standoff right in that moment in time. It was. I've got a fallen angel tripping all over herself to give me more power. Queen Mab has asked me to take the mantle of the Winter Knight twice. Twice. Now. I've read Kemler's book. I know how the Dark Hollow works, and I know how to turn necromancy against the Black Court. That's you know that's some pretty good ammunition. Leave yeah. Murphy alone, <laughs> right? And when does yeah. Murphy get the sword, get the Japanese sword? I I feel like she doesn't. I mean, I I feel like it makes too much sense. <laughs> like that, when some you, other characters going when to you mention that about she has the Japanese swords, and I was like, oh, that's. Too I feel obvious. like it's. I feel like it's for, uh, it's foreshadowing. I, I'm. It has to. I mean, sometimes sometimes you can make something obvious and actually do it, right? Yep. I so. would like to know a little bit more about how. I guess wizards aren't necessarily recruited. They just are what they are. But how do they find all these extra wizards? Like, where do they come from? And how do they... There's got to be like a magical, like a, you know, like a Hogwarts school letter that goes out, you're a wizard, Harry, type like, thing. Like there's a map somewhere uh, that's like, here's a uh, wizard. I, yeah. Or like I, Professor X just putting out the thoughts. Yeah. I'd be interested to see. I, I'm willing to bet that it's that it's more along the, the lines of the second and, mm -hmm. that, and that the White Council has a group that they say, hmm... This person has risen to some prominence. Let's test them and see where they're at and see whether or not they're ready to be yeah. brought into the fold. Because yeah, well, the, the wizards are being decimated, so they have to find new ones. Like, obviously, they're not going to, like, automatically replenish themselves, but I'm yeah. just curious to see how, well, that, the, how the they wardens, find... The warden's primary responsibility is searching out and snuffing out people who are abusing black magic. Yeah. So they clearly have some way of finding people with magical ability. So if the warden's responsibility is to search out and snuff out people who are using black magic, how long will it take for the wardens to say, but you know what? We're desperate enough 
if you if you swear that you'll never do it again, we'll let you come in. Like Harry? I think something even better, though. I think Harry's knowledge of black magic allows him and the wardens to update the black magic defenses, to modernize the council, to use people like Ramirez to kind of give it a new fancy hip edge, you know, and stuff and stop doing things the old way with some blowback from the old way. So there's a little bit of a white council civil war, but then they all have to come back together because the fairy world is all up in a heaval now, thanks to the red court, you know, not playing by any jumping rules. into the yeah. world. So I think, I think pieces of the fairy world, he'll have to start picking sides. I can't wait to find out what uh, Harry's godmother feels after she's been tortured for a little while. Yeah, right. That's yeah. like that's not going to come back and bite Harry in the butt. I'm sure she'll find a way to say it's your fault. Well, Harry's um, already done plenty of recruiting to the side of the White Council. I mean, he's got summer summer court people on his side. He's got winter court people that, that find him favor in him. He's got this new wild fae out there that he summoned that actually kind of respects him. Mm-hmm. And Toot Toot. <laughs> Let's not forget and Toot don't Toot. Forget Toot Toot. Oh, I forgot Toot Toot. Um, in fact, when he said, I'm going to go summon a fairy, I was thinking, oh, good, we're going to see Toot Toot. Oh, no, it's the Eldritch. <laughs> um, it's the, what does he call him? The Eldritch Knight? Um, yeah. The the, the uh, Elven King. That was awful. Well, uh, yeah. are, are we also convinced? Are, I, I'm, just, I'm just wondering about you guys. Are you, are you convinced that Komori may be the traitor on the White Council, and that's why she's cowled her face all the time. That's why Harry can't see her, and she's the one that gave up the White Council to the Red Court because it was her bid to win power, and it was a it was a joint effort between her and Mavra. It certainly makes a lot of sense. So when do we find out who she is? Or have we already found out who she is, and we just don't know it yet? Spoilers. I don't know if it's a spoiler because that's a. I'm just guessing. No, I'm just saying. Please, please don't post spoilers. On I feel the... like she's probably oh, yeah, some yeah, yeah. obscure, <laughs> some obscure person we've seen before. Maybe she's the woman on the senior council or something. But... Yeah, I think I I think I think when it when she when she appears, we're gonna go. Oh, doggone son of a! Should have saw that coming. <laughs> because we've been given just enough information to know. Yep. In the um, meantime, I'm excited to get into proven guilty. Well, let's <laughs> let's hope that uh, Murphy's wrist heals and. That uh, we never hear how it was broken. Um, <laughs> and, oh, whatever. The next book will pick up a year later. So it's uh, right. By then she and Kincaid might be married. Everything will be different. Yeah. No, no. Murphy will be married to uh, Mac. And then I'll just be, I'm just thinking of the most random thing I can think of. That's pretty random. Yeah. That's pretty random. But you know you what? Go. I'd go for that one. That'd I'd, be interesting. I'd like to see that wedding. All right. Me too. I, have we, have we done enough? Do we feel like we've done enough on this? We've we've done enough to spin head or Craig's head off its axis. So, <laughs> well, in that case, Craig wants to play StarCraft. Let's get out of here. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll uh, we'll see you next time. We've got. I, I what's the next? Uh, what's the next Dresden book? Proven Guilty. Proven Guilty, which will be uh, probably episode two hundred fifty-one or fifty-two. We got two hundred fifty in coming in pretty quick. So, yeah. um, and we'll look forward to that party. And remember. Thomas is too pretty to die. Harry's too stubborn to die. And, and most of po- all, Poco will, will never for, die. Will never die. Poco will never die.
So I did want to say, I know that this is going to make this episode even longer, and this might be just like a little coda that I put after the music. Uh, but something that I just, I'm just tickled by is, you know, every once in a while I get an email or a Facebook message or whatever, and somebody will say, oh, you know, the Legendarium gave me the push I needed to read X, Y, or Z, right? And it, it warms my, my little heart to hear those stories, right? Your heart actually grows three sizes yeah, too large. Three sizes that day. Um, <laughs> But in a way, it's it almost makes me happier to hear how much you guys are enjoying Dresden. I've never read it. I will someday. You know, I'll, I'll get to it. But you don't need because to now. this We've was such a you. push from our listeners, and so it was kind of the other way around. Read this. You got to. You guys got to read this. It's going to be so good. And it went exactly as the listeners predicted, which was for the first like three books or so, you guys treated it like candy. Like, yep. oh, this is a fun diversion. Oh, these are kind of nice little popcorn books or whatever. Uh, and then you're and getting now more all of a sudden, and more into yeah. it. Todd is crying through entire episodes trying to talk about <laughs> Dresden Files. And uh, it's great. So anyway, I just wanted to, to shout out the listeners on uh, making this one happen. Yeah, good call by them. Amen. And good call by me. I'm the one that pushed it. And the listeners just went, yes, do it. And then... Somehow Kevin Ken is always going to make it sound like it's his idea. Yeah, I'm going to leave him out I'm of this. I'm pretty sure it was my idea, so... <laughs> oh, girls, uh, girls, you're both that's pretty. That's all. Okay, bye, guys.